all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. GI complaints are very common in our pediatric and internal medicine clinics. This can be anything from a stomach ache to reflux to constipation, celiac disease, uh, just to name a few. And so today I thought it would be a good time to talk about that. I feel like we haven't talked about this one in a while, and it is always a big topic. Like I said, both in my pediatric clinics and in internal medicine patients. So um, I thought it would be a good one because it just ranged all over everybody. So if you have any questions, comments this morning, we would love to hear from you. You can always send us an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. So I don't even know where to start with the GI because there's just so many different topics that get brought up in clinic. Um, so if you have a specific topic you wanted to talk about, give me a call and I'll be happy to, to discuss that. But the big ones I feel like that we get um, questions about are going to be reflux and heartburn as well as constipation. I feel like those are two of the bigger ones. So those were the ones I was going to start with. But like I said, if you have any questions, um, give me a call and we can we can talk about that. And then reflux and constipation are also two things that I feel like a lot of people have some home remedies for. Um, And so maybe you know some things that you found to be pretty helpful for you or your kids, your family. Let us know because um, I always love to hear what other people recommend because, you know, there's all kinds of stuff out there that can be helpful besides having to get medicines. There's some things that you can change in your lifestyle or maybe some things that you already have at your house that can be really helpful for it. Um, so again, I thought uh, we haven't talked about this in a while, and I thought it may be um, pretty applicable right now in the holiday season. As uh, just before the, we started, Kevin and I were talking about our Thanksgivings and all the food we ate, and you know this is now a time where people may be partaking in a little bit more food, maybe some more you know drinks and social events, um, and with that, it comes with. Messing up your stomach. I feel like this is a very common time we see this. Um, Because people are just eating more. They're eating um, different things than they normally would eat. And so it just really can kind of irritate your stomach. So if you're listening and that's one of you out there, we'll talk about some things that you can do. Um, So let's talk about reflux first. So reflux is just kind of the fancy term that we use when essentially we're just talking about heartburn. Um, and what is heartburn? Because a lot of people don't really know. When I ask you know, patients, sometimes I'll say, well, are you having any heartburn? They're like, I don't know. What is, what is heartburn? What, do I, what is it supposed to feel like? 
And that's really kind of hard to say because heartburn can feel different for everybody. Um, you know, if some people's heartburn feels a little bit different than other people's. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but for most people with heartburn, what you're going to get is a burning kind of pain um, in what we call the epigastric region. Um, or it could be in your esophagus. But the epigastric region is just that kind of top part of your stomach right there. Um, and then some people will also say they get some of that burning in their in their eso- like uh, throat area. Um, some other things that you can get with reflux is sometimes people get a lot of belching or burping. Um, some people get just a bad taste in their mouth. You may see that. Um, with kids, it can be a little more non-specific because the kid sometimes is not going to tell you you know they may say my stomach hurts but they can't really tell you describe to you what it is um, so you may notice that they complain more about some belly pain after they eat or some kids just vomit randomly too so after they eat they'll just randomly vomit you know once or twice and then they just go about their day and keep going like nothing happened Um, So reflux honestly can look different in anybody. Um, Everybody has different symptoms. Uh, But those are going to be the kind of main ones. Uh, Sometimes you can get that gas pain, too, with it. That was, you know, I said some people um, belch and burp a little bit more. But some people don't necessarily do that, but they get that kind of like what they'll call like trapped gas pain. You've heard people say that before where you feel like you need to and you're just like, oh, if I could just like – get rid of the like burp it would feel better um and so you can get some of that pain kind of too and it's more of like a I guess a cramping kind of pain usually is what people describe it as Um, but a lot of times that goes hand in hand with reflux as well with babies most babies are not gonna have symptoms with spit up you know we call a lot of these babies uh happy spitters that are refluxing because all babies are going to reflux. And we'll talk a little bit more about that um, later in the show, but all babies are going to spit up. It's just kind of the nature of the way that they're made. You know, our, their stomachs are really small. Um, their muscles aren't very strong. They're not able to sit upright, you know, and well, you know, most people with their heartburn and their reflux symptoms get worse when you lay down. Well, babies are little newborn babies are always laying down. So, of course, they're going to be spitting up some. But for the most part, little babies are just fine. You know, they'll be you'll see them. You'll be holding them and burping them and then they just spit up everywhere. Um, and then they just start smiling and laughing and it doesn't really bother them. Now, there are some babies that it does upset them, you know, because it does. It can be a little irritating when it comes up. The nice thing about babies is little bitty babies, they don't have a ton of acid. So it's not like ours. That's what causes the pain is that acid that burns and irritates. Babies don't really have a lot of that. So most of theirs is just milk coming up um, just because they don't need a lot of acid to digest the milk. So they don't have a lot of that. So the milk coming up doesn't really tend to bother them very much. So you'll see them spit up, laugh, and move on. And the term we always use for it is happy spitters. So as long as they're happy and as long as they're growing, there's really not much to do about it. Um, But there are some babies that you can see that the reflux gets pretty bad and they'll be screaming and it really does bother them a lot. Um, it can affect their growth, too. Um, my little baby, the my second baby girl, she had terrible reflux. Um, we ended up at a doctor. We, well, I actually had to take her to the ER once um, because she couldn't quit projectile vomiting and ended up at a GI specialist as well because hers got so bad um, and she wasn't growing. 
So, you know, that it can get really bad um, so much that it actually affects their growth. And that's when we really have to intervene um, as physicians because we don't want that to happen to our little ones. So, so all of that being said, reflux can happen to anyone. It could happen all the way from newborn little bitty babies all the way through adulthood. So if you haven't experienced it yet, uh, you probably will at some point. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. At some point, everybody's going to have it. So I mentioned that all babies are going to spit up. We'll start we'll start from littles and we'll go all the way through the adults, but we'll start with the littles first talking about reflux and heartburn. Um, but I've said this before in here so you may have heard it, but they're all they're all setups for it because they they don't have a big stomach. You know, one of the old pediatricians used to tell us, make a fist. That's about, you know, the size of a kind of loose fist. You know, that's general, not too much different the size of your stomach. Maybe a little bit bigger. Um, so when you look at a baby's little fist, it's tiny. And then you think about putting two and three ounces of um, formula or breast milk in their little belly, and it doesn't have much room to go, you know. And so some of that's going to come back up just because of the nature of everything being so small. I talked a little bit about how they're not sitting upright. Um, and so that also, I mean, and that's just gravity, you know. I mean, sitting up, things go down. If you're laying down, it's going to fall back up, you know. So that's part of it, too. And then the esophageal sphincter, which becomes important, especially as we talk about adults, too, because there's lots of things that can affect that. So you have a little muscle at the bottom of your esophagus. So when you swallow, it goes through your esophagus and into your stomach. And at the bottom of the esophagus is a little muscle called the esophageal sphincter. And it's supposed to squeeze, open and squeeze, open and squeeze. It opens to let food go from your esophagus into your stomach. And then it squeezes down to keep that in the stomach and not let it come back up from the esophagus. Well, no muscles on babies are very strong, so that muscle is not. Also, babies aren't very coordinated. Um, a lot of those neuro connections haven't developed yet. So again, it is not a very strong muscle, plus it's not a very coordinated muscle. And so some of that milk is going to come up from the stomach and, and up into their esophagus, and some may end up ultimately having lots of reflux and spitting it out. So, And then in adults, that esophageal sphincter becomes important too because there's lots of things that we unfortunately do to ourselves um, that can affect that and which also can make our reflux worse. But all that being said, babies are setups for it. Um, I saw one statistic that said 50 to 70% of infants are going to be spitting up at some point in their life. You're not really going to see it at first. So it usually doesn't start until about two to three weeks. And a lot of that's just because they don't really take much when they're first born. So usually by two to three weeks, they're starting to take a little bit more. And so that's when you really see it start peaking. So we'll see some some babies at their two-week visit and they're not really spitting up. But then the mom calls like a week later and is like, they're spitting up. I don't know what to do. Um, so you typically you'll see it start around two to three weeks. It peaks around four to five months. Again, that's just because a lot of they're taking more and more. Um, but then by like nine to 12 months, it gets a lot better. That's because they're sitting up now. They're up and moving. They're taking more solids. Um, and it's not all just the milk. And so it will get better with time. Um, it just takes a little while. 
Um, Before the break, I talked a little bit about why it happens in babies, and now I'm going to talk a little bit about how it differs as you get older, um, because it's not as much physiologic as we get older as much as it is in babies. So it's a lot, unfortunately, as adults, it's a lot of the stuff that we do to ourselves. (laughs) Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But We would love to hear from you, so give us a call. Maybe you have some home remedies for your reflux, or maybe you had some weird symptoms that ultimately ended up being related to reflux. I would love to hear from you, or you can always send an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. Um, So I mentioned before the break, like I said, about why it happens in babies. And a lot of it is just kind of physiologic um, in that their little stomachs are small. They're not sitting upright. They're lying down a lot. Um, We as parents sometimes do it to them by overfeeding them. I would say that's probably the number one cause um, is we're giving them a little too much more than their little stomachs can handle. And then we mentioned again about that little um, esophageal sphincter. Uh, Like I said, it is not very coordinated, so it opens and closes at weird times. It also is not very strong to squeeze down and and keep that milk in the stomach. Um, And so a lot of that can contribute to it. Now, in, a, in our older kids and adults, it's a little bit different. Um, like I said, a lot of it, unfortunately, is just some of the things that we do to ourselves. Um, so some of the foods that we eat. Anything that's really acidic um, foods uh, can definitely make reflux worse, and it actually may actually uh, makes it more uncomfortable too because it increases that acid. Um, high fatty foods also can. Um, with the fatty foods, it can slow the gastric emptying. The longer something sits in your stomach, then the more it's going to um, cause your you know, reflux and the nausea. That's a lot of those, um, just a little side note, uh, you hear a lot of that stuff about uh, the Ozempic and some of the new weight loss medicines causing like such bad nausea. Well, that's part of it because it slows the gastric emptying. Anytime anything sits in your stomach, it's going to make you get more, well, obviously fuller faster, but two, it's also going to make you more nauseated and it's potential for it to go back up into the esophagus. So, Um, So, you know, a lot of those fatty foods can do that as well. Um, There are some medicines that we use to, I mean, some foods too that we um, eat that can actually lower the esophageal sphincter pressure. Um, So it kind of creates like what happens in babies, and that's going to be like chocolate, um, peppermint, caffeine, all of those things can actually make that worse as well. So um, we know that smoking and alcohol um, can also affect that. And it can make your reflux worse. And then um, some other things is just being overweight. I've I've never really seen a great explanation why that is. Um, But a lot of times we'll see it worse in our patients who are overweight. Their reflux does tend to be a little bit worse, too. So, um, So, again, these are a lot of things that we can fix as adults that we kind of do to ourselves, unfortunately, um, that can help a lot with the with the reflux when it comes to treatment. So we've got a couple of callers in the line. So we will go to Sharon. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Thank you for being there. Yeah. What's going on? Um, I wanted to ask for your advice. Y'all had this topic a few years ago and. I have Barrett syndrome, mm-hmm. and I have a, an ulcer, and I was never diagnosed until I finally told him I kept doing this, <clears throat> like trying to clear my throat, but I also have bad osteoporosis, 
and I need Nexium or Protonics or something, but when I take that, it's bad for my osteoporosis, I'm told. Mm-hmm. So ginger root, is there anything natural? Um, one of your callers had said one time that they boil ginger root and that they use that. Yeah, so um, ginger can actually help that. I was looking at it because I saw your question coming up, and it said the reason that it's helpful, because I wasn't really sure. I've heard people tell me that, but I didn't really know why. Um, But it says the ginger is actually more alkaline in nature, Um, and so I guess it helps neutralize that acid a little bit, and that may be why that it's so helpful. Um, Barrett's esophagus, as you know, but for people out there listening, What happens is when you reflux and it goes back up into your esophagus, over time that acid can irritate the mucosa and the lining of the esophagus. Um, And then what happens is those cells change, and you can get some early signs of those changes, which is Barrett's esophagus, like our caller is talking about now. Um, The reason we get concerned is because there is potential, once those cells start changing, that it could become a cancerous cell. Um, And so that's why people with Barrett's esophagus, it's really important important that we make sure that we're we're monitoring them and getting regular scopes and trying to control that acid. So um, so that was just wanted to make sure everybody knew what she was talking about when you said Barrett's. Um, but yeah, um, ginger definitely can work. I've had patients tell me that, that it has been helpful for them. And so that's definitely a natural way to do it. Um, you can alternate too, you know, doing some like heavy, the, like the pepsids and the tagament and those medicines. They don't tend to affect the electrolytes as much, um, oh. as like the PPIs, like the Prilosec and all of those medicines, Nexiums that you were mentioning. So you uh-huh. can use some of those as well. The problem with those medicines is over time, they don't become as effective. So if you use those a lot, um, over time, they won't become as effective. But you can rotate them a little bit, and it can be helpful, too, to help suppress the acid. Um, so you can use those. You just can't use, like, the Prilosec and the Nexium. You have to be a little bit more careful with those. Okay, you said Pepsi and Tagamet. Pepsi, Tagamet, Zantac. You know, they took the original Zantac off the market, um, but they have actually rebranded it. Um, and it's it's the same thing as Pepsi. I don't know how they were legally able to do that, but whatever they have. So, um, but Zantac, Pepsi, and Tagamet are um, some of the other H2 blockers that can be helpful. All right. Thank you for being there. I appreciate y'all. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for your call. Um, we'll go next to Kate. Good morning, Kate. What's going on? Well, hi. Um, I don't know if this will help anybody, but I'm a type 1 diabetic, um, juvenile onset, and I have struggled with acid and nausea and those things for years, and it turns out I have gastroparesis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the slower gastric emptying of the stomach, and so once they figured that out, you know, they were able to put me on like a three-month regimen of that medicine, Reglin, mm-hmm. to help with nausea and things, but... um. I just you know there are other diabetics out there who are struggling and aren't having luck with like Prilosec and things like that, or even Pantoprazole, um, to maybe go talk to their endocrinologist about um, maybe having a gastric emptying study done. Study I just 
Yeah, thanks for calling, Kate. That's a unfortunately gastroparesis is a really common problem with patients with diabetes, um, in particular type one because you know you've had it usually a little bit longer. Um, but we've, we've talked about diabetes before, and some of the complications are related to the high sugars and can damage the nerves. And we we think about it more for neuropathy, but it can damage the nerves to the stomach and the intestinal system, um, which is what gastroparesis essentially is. So, and I do have neuropathy also. So, you know, I struggle with some different things, but it had that, you're exactly right, but I just, I've struggled with it for so long, and, you know, people go on those things like Ozempic and things, the type 1 diabetics can't take that, you know, you mentioned that earlier, but they, you know, the type 1 can't take it because of the slow gastric emptying, if you have gastroparesis, it makes it worse right. for a lot of type 1 diabetics. Exactly. Um, so, um, I don't know, so if that's helpful to anybody, you know, maybe talk to their doctor about it, if they're diabetic. I, you don't have to be diabetic to have it, I don't think. <laughs> you don't, no, that's what um, I was going to say. Um, we do have some sporadic cases of gastroparesis. Now, it's definitely more common in diabetics, um, but yes. it's definitely something to think about in patients with uh, recurrent nausea and vomiting is you can have sporadic diagnosis of gastroparesis. And essentially right. what the Reglan does is the Reglan helps intestinal motility, so it helps that stomach and those intestines start moving a little bit more and it can be really helpful the problem is with Reglan and it can have a lot of bad side effects so you can't stay on it for yes, forever that's what I was told they said yeah, three months because yeah. it could cause uh, part of dyskinesia and things like that exactly so we're just doing this three months and I hope it'll help me but if it'll help anybody else out there you just there's tons of diets online and it's kind of hard to find the right mix if you're diabetic and have gastroparesis, but there's stuff out there. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that helps gastroparesis, and I'm sure somebody's told you, is smaller and more frequent meals. So if you yes, feel that's what I started doing. Yeah, so if you fill the stomach up with the big meals, then it's all just going to sit there. But if you eat smaller, yes. more frequent meals, that can be really helpful too. And not eating late at night, too. Yes, for <laughs> sure, for sure. So that's good for anybody. Okay, well, thank you. I always learn a lot from your show, and I just. Never know if there's anybody out there who might be struggling with something I am. And <laughs> yes, thank you, Kate, so much for calling and sharing that. Um, yes, we appreciate your calls because there's a lot of things that I don't even think about. And that gastroparesis is definitely something that um, we unfortunately see a pretty good bit. Um, and it can be a really bad struggle for a lot of patients. So thanks for calling and sharing that, Kate. Um, and like she said, uh, Unfortunately, a lot of the medicines don't really help. Um, we do have a few medicines like Reglan. Um, sometimes I've seen them do some um, antibiotics, too, can be helpful with that. There's a few antibiotics that are, are pro-stimulant medicines that can be helpful with that, too. Um, but unfortunately, with gastroparesis, there's not a ton of great treatments. So the more you can learn about it and change up some of your lifestyle and diet changes, that can be really helpful for gastroparesis. Um, really quick before we have to um, take our next break, the last thing I'll say about gastroparesis is um, sometimes you, they do have things called a gastric pacemaker. Um, so, you know, you've heard of pacemakers for your heart, um, and they do make pacemakers for your stomach uh, that can help with that as well, just cause, um, help stimulate and help it move along. Um, we really reserve those for more refractory cases and because, obviously, anytime you – implant anything in foreign into your body there's always a risk for complications and infection and all the things that go with that too but that is an option out there um, for our patients with really severe uh, gastroparesis sometimes that can be helpful um, but you got to make sure that you have the right surgeon that knows how to put it in and there's only certain GI doctors that actually um, follow and help 
because uh, you have to go get your simulator checked, and sometimes you have to change, you know, the the degree on it and all of that stuff too. So. Uh, just something to throw out there, because uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't know a ton about gastroparesis. And unfortunately, we don't have a ton of uh, treatments, and we don't, as physicians, don't know enough about it. So it's one thing that we're all still always trying to work on, too. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We are talking today about GI issues, and we talked some about reflux, and I'm going to talk a little bit about constipation, too, because I feel like that is another big question uh, that a lot of people have, but nobody wants to talk about. Um, And so I figured we could talk about that some today, too. But we've got a couple more callers, so we will go to Charlene. Good morning, Charlene. What's going on? Well, I have a friend who coughs. I didn't know you were just doing GI issues. Oh, you can ask anything. You're good. Okay. She had the same thing in August. She coughs constantly. The doctor said she had bronchitis, that her lungs were clear, and somebody recommended Mucinex. She doesn't take anything for a cold to get rid of the overall illness just something for a cough, so she coughs constantly. And I wondered, what is RSV? Yeah, so RSV is a virus, um, respiratory syncytial virus is what it stands for. Um, But essentially, it's just another virus that can cause a cold, typically in adults um, and in our older kids. Our babies and then our elderly patients are the ones that it can make really sick. Um, but usually you get like um, runny nose, congestion, coughing, just like you normally would with any kind of like regular cold. Um, the problem with it is, is it can cause a lot of mucus buildup. And um, if you're not able to really clear your, you know, cough it up and move it around, um, then that's when you get the problem and you can get more shortness of breath and oxygen problems and wheezing and that type of thing. Um, now, it sounds like hers could be more of a chronic cough and RSV is not typically what I would think about in causing a, a chronic cough. Um, there's lots of other things that could be that can cause chronic cough too, but RSV is not typically one that I would think about that would cause more of a persistent cough. It's usually kind of an acute thing. Okay, so possibly it could be only bronchitis. <laughs> well, does she have? So has it ever gone away? Or no, she went to Houston and just came back Sunday, and she's had it ever since so she picked it up somewhere oh okay so she had it in august but it got better and now she just has it again oh yes okay yes, it got better sorry yes. and my i was thinking i'm sorry i was thinking she's had it since august i didn't realize it got better um yeah well it could be it could be rsv um it's definitely going around right now there's lots of kids in the children's hospital with it um flu is also going around and we're still seeing a decent amount of covid um And so, I mean, those are probably the three viruses right now that we're seeing a decent amount of. But just a lot of the common cold viruses like um, rhinovirus, uh, human metanumovirus, those are all like other really common viruses that we see this time of year as well, too. It's not COVID. She was tested for that. And she has a problem getting her mucus up. So she just coughs and takes Mucinex is actually a perfect option for that. Um, And like I said, if it is RSV, you get a lot of that chest congestion and mucus. And so Mucinex would be really good for that. The thing about Mucinex is 
You have to make sure you're drinking plenty of water if you're taking Mucinex, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, But what Mucinex is doing is it's helping thin out a lot of that mucus that's in your chest and all those secretions that you have. So if you're not drinking enough water, Mucinex can't really work and thin those secretions out. Um, So you got to drink plenty of water, take the Mucinex, um, and it really will help you cough. Um, if it's a really bad case of bronchitis, depending, sometimes we'll give some steroids, sometimes we'll give some inhalers too. So she may want to consider going to see somebody about if those medicines too. But honestly, mucinex sounds like a great option for her if she's got a lot of that chest congestion and mucus. Okay, is there a test for RSV? There is. You know, typically we don't test adults for it. Honestly, we don't even test big kids. We really just test little babies for it. Um, However, here with COVID, they've kind of changed a lot of our testing. And so sometimes, depending on what tests your doctors have, um, RSV can be included in some of them. Like we have some tests that combine like RSV, COVID, and flu. Um, And so they may have a test for it just because if they swab for COVID and flu. But most of the time, we don't just routinely swab adults for RSV. She doesn't have COVID. See, I noticed they're offering the RSV shot with your flu shot. Yes, year. Yeah, so if you're over 60 um, and you have a high risk for potentially, you know, developing complications from RSV, which would be, you know, um, any kind of chronic medical problems, heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, kidney disease, heart disease, all those things, um, they are recommending you get the RSV vaccine because you would be more prone to complications from RSV. Mm. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, I hope she feels better. Uh, Thank you for your call, and we'll go next to Larry. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Um, I have this problem. It doesn't occur like every week or every month, but sometimes, you know, like when you have the birth, you get like a lot of chest pain, pressure in the chest. Mm -hmm. Okay? Well, that happens to me sometimes, and what happens is I can burp a little bit, and some of the pressure comes up, but some still remains. And I can go through cycles of this over and over again until I finally get one, one big burp and it's, it's all done and over. And I wonder what might be causing that. Yeah, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, some people feel like they get some of that kind of trapped gas pain with reflux symptoms. It kind of all goes hand in hand. Um, some of the gas stuff uh-huh. sometimes can. Um, in that case, I don't know what have you ever tried anything for your reflux Um But to me, those symptoms tend to be a little bit better with medicines like Maalox and Mylanta. Um, Like Mylanta has an acid neutralizer in it, and it also has Simethicone, which is a gas medicine, too. Um, And so those can be really helpful to me. Now, they're nasty because it's the liquid, and you got to drink it, and it can be really gross. Um, But to me, those tend to be a little bit better in those situations because it does have the gas component plus the acid neutralizer, and it can give you some relief. So you may want to consider trying that next time. Because I know, I know it, I'm not feeling anything like moving up the esophagus. You know, it's not that, you know. So I don't think it's an acid reflex. 
Se. Yeah. Because I don't feel anything actually coming up like you do with heartburn. Yeah. Well, that, I don't feel any burning sensation either. Yeah. Well, I would try one of the gas drops then, or the gas medicines like that has semethicone in it. Um, so, like I said, Maalox, Mylanta, or you could do just like Gasex, all of those medicines. That's what that is. Um, and it may help relieve, just kind of help break up some of those little bubbles in there. So I just take that when these, when these episodes are frozen, correct? Yes, yeah. It's just an as-needed medicine. And it's a very benign medicine. Yeah, we we give it to little bitty babies, like two-week-old babies. So it's not going to really interact with anything. And, and what it essentially does, it just helps break up some of those gas bubbles. And so it'll help you kind of release those. Okay. Okay, yeah. well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. You yeah. You've got a great show. Thank you, Larry, for calling. We appreciate it. Um, we will go next to Mary. Hey, Mary, what's going on? Um, I'm calling because I had uh, acid reflux. Not acid reflux. I had gastric bypass surgery um, about a year ago. And ever since then, I've had this really, really bad gas. Uh, it's pretty much constant, and it's very foul. And I'm wondering... What I could, I've been taking uh, acidophilus mm-hmm. to help. So, is this, are you burping a lot too? And Not really burping. Okay. Do you feel like you get bloated? No, I don't really feel a little, I feel a little bloated. Okay, because there are some situations where you can have, um, especially after having surgery and, um, you know, changing up the way that everything normally would digest, uh, you can get what we call like small bowel, small SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, so essentially what happens is, is you know you've got good bacteria in your gut, which it sounds like you're trying to give yourself some probiotics to help with that, which I think is appropriate. Um, but sometimes you can get some overgrowth of the bacteria, um, and it actually can cause problems. And so you can get, like, really bad gas, lots of belching. Um, a lot of people will complain about being bloated, too. Um, and so that would be something I would think about. Uh, you probably need to go see a GI doctor for that because they have to do a special kind of test to diagnose you with it. Um, but sometimes we actually have to give you antibiotics to like re-alter uh, the bacteria in your gut uh, to kind of help get all of that reset. Um, but I kind of wonder if something like that could potentially be going on with you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, that may be something to think about. Um, you know, with gastric bypass. I'll, I'll, I'll ask my, um, my um, primary doctor to. Yeah, ask them and see. You know, with gastric bypass, there's so many different potential things that could be going on. Uh, but just with the fact that some of the symptoms that you're saying, SIBO is one of the things that comes into my head. All right. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. I hope that helps. Um, we'll go next to Ruth. Good morning, Ruth. What's going on? Good morning. Um, I keep having a uh, very high abnormal, uh, is it white cell count <laughs> blood test, um, and the doctor's not really doing anything except I am taking some antibiotics, but I was wondering if you 
if it could be possible that you have a bleeding ulcer or something that without the tarry stools. Um, yeah, you definitely, you could potentially, um, because if you have a really small ulcer that's just kind of slowly oozing, um, mm-hmm. you may not actually see blood. Um, like we had a guy come into clinic a couple of weeks ago that had been on Mobic, which is an anti-inflammatory, which can make you at, at risk for having um, ulcers. Anyway, he is he was a big athlete, bikes all the time, and had just noticed his heart rate was getting up a lot higher when he biked. Um, was not having any blood in his stool that he had noticed, no changes to the colors of his stool. Um, but uh, we got his blood work, and he was super anemic, like really bad anemic, had to put him in the hospital. And so his had just been happening slowly, and he ended up having an ulcer, and it had just been slowly oozing over time. So you can probably you can have, like, microscopic blood um, that's going on in there, and so you don't necessarily see it with your eyes, but we can do a test where we can test it, um, like a guaiac, I never can say that word right, uh, or an FOBT, um, where we look and we test for blood, for microscopic blood. Um, and so you can potentially have ulcers in there, um, that just kind of ooze slow little bits of blood that you may not ever really truly see with your eyes. Um, and the only way to do that is to just test the stool. But the doctor can do that. Test the stool? Yes, yeah, so you would give a stool sample, and we have a little, we put, we smear a little sample, and then we drop a little um, tester thing, uh, drops. Um, and if it, if it has blood in it, it'll light up blue in there is what happens. Is that the FOBT? Testing, yes, ma'am. F- mm-hmm. FOBT. Mm-hmm. FOBT. It's called right. fecal occult blood test is what oh, that stands okay. for. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for your call. And we will go next to Link. Good morning. What's going on? Good morning. How are you this morning? Doing good. What's going on this morning? Uh, I was listening to the uh, radio show there this morning, and I heard a lot of them say about what well, they have, like, gas and all that stuff around the chest and stuff. And I had the same problem, but when I went to the doctor, I was having a heart attack. I had four blockages in my heart. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you bring up a good point that we had not gotten to yet. So thanks for calling about that. So a lot of times people will blame it just on reflux, but it can be your heart. And it can be kind of hard to decipher, um, especially in women. You know, women in particular have, we see this a lot, that women will complain about heartburn when really it could be their heart. But it can happen in anybody, but women just typically have a little more atypical symptoms for the heart. Some things to kind of think about, and I'm not sure, Link, you can kind to tell us if you had this or not, but um, what's different about the heart versus the stomach or reflux would be when it happens. So reflux typically is going to be worse, usually at night, but when we lay down for bed, um, after big meals, whereas opposed to the heart is usually going to happen more of when you're having doing some activity, so when you're actually exerting yourself and putting a little bit of stress on your heart. Um, and so you can kind of look at it from that aspect. Um, so I don't know, Link, have you, when your pain was, did you remember, like, was it ever, did it just happen randomly, or was it more when you got up and moved around? 
I know we may have lost him. Um, But he brought up a great point because that is something that we see a lot. Now, if you have a lot of risk factors for heart problems, so um, like maybe you have high blood pressure, diabetes, you are a smoker, um, anything like that that would make us more concerned about your heart, I'm going to go on and pull the trigger a little bit faster and check out your heart even if I still think it's reflux, because if you have a lot of risk factors, that's not something I want to miss. Um, but if you know, if you're 35 years old, healthy, you run six miles a day, and you're having some of those symptoms, I'm probably going to lean a little bit more towards reflux and, and treat you more for reflux first before we do that. So, um, But that's kind of how you can kind of decipher it a little bit. Reflux typically is worse after eating as opposed to the chest pain is more of when you get up. And it could just be walking to and from the bathroom, you know, um, depending on your level of, um, of activity. So, but yeah, that's such a great point. If you're having persistent pain, Pain and you've tried some over-the-counter uh, reflux stuff and you're not getting better, please go get checked out so that we can make sure it's not your heart um, because that is can definitely mimic that. Um, we'll go next to Beth. Good morning, Beth. What's going on? I, my question is, I heard you talking about gut just a few minutes ago, and my question is, is there a linkage between if you have a sporadic increase in your blood pressure that it could also cause you to have gut issues or um, a feeling of of a bowel movement, that kind of thing? Hmm. I'm going to have to look into that. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, Now, I will say this. We do not know enough about the gut and all of the different (laughs) aspects of it. Um, You know, I I think there really is a lot to some of this gut health stuff that, you know, more and more stuff is coming out, just how important the microbiome is in our gut. Um, So potentially there is some kind of relation. I'm trying to think. So specifically, you're saying when you have a high blood, when your blood pressure goes up. Yes. Let's say you're you're just fine and all of a sudden you might have a, a spike in it. And I don't know whether it's either from something I've eaten or just maybe I'm feeling tense or whatever, but it always seems to then be accompanied with a a, a sensation in my gut as if I'm I need to go to the Uh, to the bathroom. Now, blood pressure is very labile and it is very responsive to changes in your body. So if you like have eaten something that has uh, irritated your, you know, GI system and you have to go to the bathroom, your blood pressure may be actually going up because of some of that. Um, You know, just some of the responses and the different things that are happening in your body. Um, So I would lean more towards all the other stuff is making your blood pressure go up as opposed to your blood pressure being up is making some of those happen. But like I said, I don't, you know, all the stuff that happens in your gut, there's so many different things that could be going on that we just don't know about yet. Um, But I'll try to look into that a little bit more and see. But to me, I would think probably the response of your GI system is actually what raises your blood pressure more than anything, if that makes sense. I agree. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Enjoy your show. Yeah, thanks, Beth, for your call. We appreciate it. Um, So real quick, since we haven't really had a chance to mention the medicines, we've had a few callers kind of call in and and briefly mention some of the medicines, but... um, but the first line, I would say, um, if you're having some reflux symptoms, is just to go get an acid neutralizer, just some of the antacids, like Tums um, is kind of the main one that comes to people's mind. Um, and essentially, all of that does is just 
straight up neutralizes the acid. Um, one of our callers mentioned ginger root, which I have seen to be helpful. Um, a lot of people too will do, just do baking soda, uh, make their own little mixture of baking soda and water and drink a little bit of that. Um, but essentially all you're doing is trying to neutralize the acid. Um, now some of the more advanced medicines would be like our histamine blockers, like we talked to one of our, our callers about, uh, like Zantac, Tagamet, Pepsid. Um, and essentially what those are doing is they block the histamine receptors, which are what makes the acid be secreted. Then you can go even further, which you, a lot of these are prescription, but you can get like Prilosec and Nexium over the counter. Those are called our PPIs, um, and those are kind of our big gun medicines for reflux. And so what they do is they secrete, I mean, they block the pumps that lead to the the acid secretion. So it's like one more step, and it's a little bit stronger. Um, those are ones, like our caller mentioned, her doctor told her she didn't need to stay on those long-term. Um, we do know long-term that those can cause problems with um, some of your electrolytes and your minerals. Um, it can cause problems with um, affecting your kidneys long-term, so you do have to be careful with that. However, those are totally t- safe to take in the short-term in interval, in like in short intervals. So for, you know, two to eight weeks at a time, it's totally fine to kind of calm everything down if you need to do that. Um, so like I said, you kind of just step up therapy, Tums, and then you have like your Pepsid Zantac, and then you have your Nexium and your Prowl which are your bigger guns. Um, if you're having to routinely use that Prilosec and Nexium, you need to go get checked out by your doctor and talk to them so that they can help you come up with a definitive plan for your reflux. Well, this has been a great show. Thank you all, everybody, for your calls today. Um, I really appreciate them. If there was something that we missed, you can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today's show is engineered by Kevin Farrell. Join us next Thursday at 11. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.